Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Athletic. Let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about six. Arturo Martinez! That's a beauty! That is a brilliant hit! Now Anfield's mood changes. A first defeat at Anfield in more than a year, but Liverpool make it through to the Champions League quarterfinals, most importantly. The Reds navigating a hugely tricky knockout tie with Inter Milan, but not without a scare. Now, if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, don't forget you can read all of our articles on Liverpool as well as everything else on the site. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod. Right now, sign up for a special price, just £1 a month for six months. So go to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod. I'm Steve Hothersall. Joining me on the Red Agenda today, Simon Hughes and writer uh, Stephen Beacom. And... uh, Despite a defeat to Inter Milan, Jürgen, I think, summed it up well, Si. He said, the art of football is to lose the right games. And it's pretty hard to argue with that one. That's quite a clever way of putting it, I think, Steve. But yeah, I mean, if you're going to lose a game 1-0 at home, that was the game to lose because there's no damage done. I thought it was a strange game, really, because Liverpool really will go into a second leg of a European Cup or Champions League tie with a two-goal advantage against top-class opposition. You know, we've seen it in the last few years where they've swept Porto aside and, and a few other opponents away from home and, it, you know, the, the sort of the, the home leg's been a procession, really. But it never quite felt like that last night. Liverpool had a had a healthy advantage going into the game as against, as I say, really good opposition. I think they were quite lucky to win 2-0 in Italy. And that contributed towards a, a sort of a, a very unusual mood in Anfield. There wasn't that sense of, well, we've got to go and attack these and we've got to go and get on top of them from minute one. And Inter were the same, really. I thought Inter played very well, but they didn't really create much. And it was it sort of created a bit of an impasse between the two teams. And Inter's goal came from absolutely, absolutely nothing, really. So Liverpool's performance was a bit sloppy, I thought, in patches, you know, sort of giving the ball away needlessly in, in the midfield. But I thought he did defend well against a team that you know is is more attacking than it traditionally is so over the two legs if somebody had said well Liverpool go through 2-1 you'd have taken it the only concerns for me a little bit were I thought in an attacking sense the two well the three forwards aren't quite at it at the moment so that you know you're, you're hoping come the end of the season they're going to have enough left in reserve to to get through the number of games that Liverpool could play but yeah I mean a 1-0 defeat to Inter, to Inter at home after a 2-0 away leg victory I don't think you're going to hear many people complaining about it I mean despite sort of the strange sort of atmosphere I didn't really feel a sense of frustration or I think that there was a there was still a trust in the team really obviously helped that Alexis Sanchez was sent off I think that that sort of stemmed any into hope in the tie really Stephen that scoreline of, of 2-0 it is a strange one and, and it does change the, the complexity once you get to the second leg it didn't feel like Liverpool were out there with the attacking 
intensity that we'd associate the team with. It's psychology, isn't it, Steve? When you're 2-0 up, you think, well, we're almost through here. We just have to see it out. And to a degree, that's exactly what happened. But whenever I'm thinking about European Cup games, I always think they're 180 minutes long. It's a tie. It's not actually just a game and then another game. So at halftime, in my opinion, Liverpool were 2-0 up after what they did over in Italy. And then they lost the second half 1-0. It's worth pointing out, though, that that Inter Milan team is a very, very good side. For me, they're the best in Italy. I think what Nzaghi has done with them in terms of their mentality is fantastic. And they came to Anfield with nothing to lose. And um, that always makes for a dangerous animal. I thought they started pretty well, Inter Milan. They started with a plan. Their desire was to score in the first half. There's no question about that. But Liverpool held them off. And the best opportunity came to Liverpool in the first half. With a little bit more luck, with better finishing, Liverpool scored three or four goals last night. So although it was a defeat... You know, at the end of the day, Liverpool are through, and that is the most important thing. Jurgen Klopp has now led Liverpool to four Champions League quarterfinals. That's incredible, given where he came from in terms of coming in as manager to a team that was underperforming in Europe. He's also led Liverpool, of course, to a Europa League final as well. So um, Klopp's record in Europe is just staggering. And I'll tell you this, now that Inter Milan have been dealt with, there's not one club in this draw in the last eight who will want Liverpool Football Club. So I think we're in a pretty good position. Last night, obviously, the performance wasn't um, as good as it has been in, in recent times. And certainly there's much to improve on. But Liverpool are in the quarterfinals of the European Cup again. And that is something that we should cherish. And if this Champions League run goes the way we hope it will and ends up in Paris, we, we might just look back at this two legs over Inter and be praising defensively the work that was done over the two legs. It, I think it was definitely a tie that was won by Liverpool's defence over the 180 minutes, Si. Yeah, I mean, as I said, I thought last night they defended very well. I've spent this season moving around Anfield and watching the game from different positions in, in the stadium and... I was in the cop last night and obviously defending the cop in the first half. So you're a lot sort of closer to the defensive side of things. And I mean, I, I thought they were excellent. I mean, the first half, there was just that free kick really late on in the half, which which was a big save from Alisson, which will probably just get forgotten with time. But, you know, low down and he had to sort of scoop it up and send it away from danger. And I thought in the second half, Liverpool defended well as well. It's a different sort of team as well into the, with the way they play with the wing backs pressing really, really high up the pitch. You know, different sorts of shape. There's not so many teams in the Premier League that have have, have gone with three at the back, five midfield and two at front and stuck with it over a long period of time. And obviously they, they played that way under Conte. They played that way under Inzaghi. But under Inzaghi, it, it, it feels like there's a lot more creativity and scope for, for attacking play. But despite a lot of good sort of ball work in midfield, Liverpool were, were excellent, I thought, at closing the gaps defensively and... And making sure they didn't get really any sight of goal. So, and that happens across the two legs. And I suppose over the last uh, last five or six years under Jurgen Klopp, it's not been something that people always notice with Liverpool. But you say a good defensive performance in terms of the depart defensive department. People tend to gravitate towards the individual, whether it be Van Dijk or 
one of the two full-backs, but I thought the two full-backs were good defensively last night, and I thought, you know, through the middle, they were very good as well. I mean, to, to limit Inter to very few chances, uh, you know, very talented Inter team to very few chances, I think they'll they'll take a lot from that game despite losing, you know, the, in terms of knowing how to, to sort of stem a team that, that wants to come and try and open you up a little bit. Liverpool haven't had that so much in the last um, in the last few years. So let's not forget as well. I mean, uh, people sort of get very sort of animated by defeats in Europe. But Liverpool, when they... It gets forgotten, doesn't it? When they, when they, they, they got to the Champions League final and won it in Madrid, uh, I think I'm right in saying they lost to Red Star Belgrade, you know, in Belgrade. You know, they, they have had some defeats in Europe along the way under Jurgen Klopp. So... In the grand scheme of things, maybe a few months from now, it won't be remembered. But, as I said at the beginning of the first question, I just sort of still feel that there was some elements of the performance that that I think Liverpool need to improve on. Certainly in the attacking areas, despite the chances that they had, I felt that, that they didn't pressurise into quite enough. I, th- I thought it was quite into, quite comfortable at the back last night. And of course, let's not forget they lost to Graz, didn't they? Sign the yeah, first yeah. round, qualifying round in, in two thousand and five. So I always feel our centre half should score more goals, and I think Liverpool are, t- are setting the pace with the number of goals that they're, they're scoring from set pieces. Stephen, the, this season in the Champions League, Matip rattling the the crossbar with a header there. I definitely feel like Matip and Van Dijk have got more goals in them. He was so unlucky there. For sure. Listen, they're two towering defenders. Whenever the you've got the delivery of Robertson and Trent Alexander Arnold from corners or set pieces, you fancy that Virgil Van Dijk or Joel Matip are going to get on the end of it. Matip will probably think he should have scored last night. It was um, a brilliant delivery. He gets his head on it. It's got to go in the net. But it would be churlish if us not to talk about how good the set pieces have been this season because Liverpool are top of the list in them. Today we're the most dangerous team in England and potentially the most dangerous team in Europe when, whenever we get a corner. In terms of um, Matip and Virgil van Dijk scoring more goals, I think that will happen in the not-too-distant future. You've seen Matip. He loves to come forward, not even just from set pieces. And then um, what he did against Leeds was just Alan Hansen-like. So I can see Matip getting on the score sheet between now and the end of the season. And I think there's a few goals in Virgil as well. You just know that he was a bit unlucky last night. It was fantastic defending that stopped him from getting on the score sheet against Inter. So um, he's getting in the right positions. All it takes is one and it could set him off and get two and three. But yeah, I do believe there are goals in the centre-halves. And that's going to be vital between now and the end of the season. As Simon said, the front three weren't at their breathtaking best last night. And to be honest, haven't been maybe um, over the last week or two. So it's going to be important that Liverpool score goals from all areas of the pitch. Didn't score last night, but I was really, really pleased with the Mo Salah interview. He was asked about the two shots that hit the post. And um, he sort of put it to the back of his mind and said, maybe I'll score three in the next game. And that's the type of confidence, self-belief that Liverpool are going to need going forward. And um, here's Tomo getting back on the score sheet because you know with him, as soon as he scores one, others will follow. So um, I don't want to get into a whole doom and gloom about losing the game last night. As Jurgen Klopp said, it was a good one to lose. Liverpool have been on this sensational run in 2022. There was no way that in today's standard of football, we were going to go unbeaten for the rest of the season. 
but to lose that one, you're still through. So you lose, but you still win. And from here on in, now Liverpool can go on another unbeaten run, hopefully starting at Brighton at the weekend. Yeah, it was good to see Mo do the interview afterwards, as, as you mentioned. I'm, I'm waiting for the p- first person who publishes Sire mowing crisis at not scoring for three games type thing. After the AFCON, it, we felt that there wasn't any hangover from that. There's nothing that we're seeing, is there, that, that sort of says he's, he's played an awful lot too much. Well, I mean, he's obviously played, is it, was it three games of extra time at AFCON? Obviously, the burden of a penalty shootout and everything else mentally. Um, I mean, I think, I think what we saw at AFCON was a reminder that, you know, people will use that as an example. I think sometimes people who doubt Mo Salah as an example of, well, he's, he's not as good as everybody makes out because, you know, Egypt didn't get through seamlessly. It was a tough tournament for them, although they obviously got to the final. But the reality is, it's, it's like Messi, isn't it? He's, he's been playing with a, a group of players there that, that aren't, unfortunately, you know, sort of of the level of Liverpool. You know, the style of football is slightly different. The role that he has and the responsibilities within the team are, are different. So... There was a you know a big burden on him, nevertheless. You know this massive pressure that he that he has in Egypt. I mean, I, I've I've been there uh, to write about him, and you know it, it's just quite incredible. I mean, Egypt. I don't know whether people really realize just what a football obsessed country Egypt is. So he's had that in the middle of a season, um, a lot of games in a short space of time, huge amounts of pressure. He has looked a bit subdued since he's come, not subdued, but not quite at it since he's come back. I mean, I would always back him to rediscover that, as Steve said. You sort of feel if he gets one goal, more, more will follow. He was quite quiet in the League Cup final, I thought, but albeit he was up against Rudiger, who, for my money, is one of the you know the, the best defenders in Europe now, I think. You know, really hard player to play against. Uncompromising, aggressive, quick. You know, if his contract runs down at Chelsea at the end of the season, I'm sure he'll be moving to one of the you know the big European clubs. So he didn't he didn't really influence that final so much. Uh, and then since then, you know, he's he's been a bit quiet. But you sort of want players to be coming good in the last sort of in the last five weeks of the, well, four or five weeks of the season. There's still you know a fair chunk of the season to go. There's still two months, isn't there? So more than two months. So. I, I would think between now and then it's, it's going to be interesting to see how Jurgen Klopp sort of manages him a little bit because he clearly wants to play every single moment of every single game, doesn't he? Sometimes it's about knowing what is best for him. Klopp has now got the option to, to play Diaz or uh, obviously Firmino's coming back. Origi, you just always sense, might, might play a role between now and the end of the season one way or another. Minamino's been doing okay when he plays as well, so... I think there will be an opportunity. I think he'll have to be rested in some games. He he just he just will. If Liverpool are going to really, you know, not even go for everything, but go for go and try and win some of the trophies that they could win, I think there will be moments where he can't play every single game, and it'll be interesting how he reacts to that because he he obviously just wants to play all the time, doesn't he? <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think the thirty-seven million spent on Diaz looks amazing now, doesn't it, Stephen? And if we're talking about someone who's maybe going to 
step in there and just contribute straight away. I mean, last night, very nearly scored a goal at the end. Just, just always seems to be on it, doesn't he? I've got to tell you, boys, I think Diaz's stock is rising quicker than the price of oil. He's, um, uh, he's amazing. He really is. I've loved the way he has come in to the side and made an immediate difference. You've got Simon there who once wrote a book about um, Liverpool in the 90s and he interviewed Ronnie Rosenthal. And I would suggest it's a bit of that sort of impact because Rosenthal was so key to Liverpool winning the, the title in 1990. And I don't think he ever really gets the credit for that, apart from in Simon's book, funny enough. But um, I look at Diaz and I think to myself, there's a rawness to him. There's a difference to him in terms of everything that Liverpool have at the moment. And when he came on the pitch, you could feel Anfield coming alive again. And he almost scored. He runs at defenders. He commits defenders. He's got a great ability to spot a pass as well. And he's just that bundle of energy that Liverpool need right now. And I, I thought that whenever he came on the pitch, I didn't for one second think that Liverpool were in any danger. I was even thinking to myself, listen, even if Inter Milan score here and send us into extra time, Diaz is going to pop up and score at least one or two in extra time. So I was very, very confident. I probably would have liked to have seen him on the pitch a little bit earlier, truth be told. But um, whenever he did come on, he gave us that outlet and almost scored. Fantastic defending again from Inter Milan to stop him. But I can see him starting against Brighton. And I just think that he's a brilliant addition at a crucial time. Liverpool are going to need all the, the guns that they have blazing over the last few months of the season. And Diaz is so crucial to that. I, I think he actually lifts the game of the others as well. He adds competition. And if you think about it, you've still have Bobby Firmino to come back. I think his presence is going to be crucial, particularly in the latter stages of matches going forward. So, um, yeah, Diaz already a cop favourite and already a player that Jurgen Klopp can rely on and um, going to be huge in the latter, latter few months. And I would like to see him start against Brighton because his energy is fantastic. And against a team like Brighton, I think he could cause severe problems. Yeah, it looks a masterstroke from the scouting department side, doesn't it? Do you, do you think some of Europe's other top teams are thinking, why on earth were we not in for this lad as well? Well, obviously Tottenham wanted to sign him, didn't they? And that's why Liverpool made the move. I mean, he, he was, so I believe, the long-term target who they were going to try and sign in the summer. And Liverpool obviously knew that Tottenham had approached Porto, I think, had, had, had agreed some sort of terms with the club. So if you're a Porto player haven't played against Liverpool a couple of times the last few seasons and you've got an option between Tottenham or, or Liverpool, I think it's always going to be a straightforward choice. So Liverpool had to accelerate their plans to, to make sure they got hold of him. There's some comparison to be made with what happened with Canate last uh, winter when Liverpool obviously wanted to, to sign him in the summer. The need for him came in January when they had so many injuries defensively but uh, Leipzig weren't willing to sell him at that time and Liverpool decided to stick to the long-term plan and try and get some short-term replacements which they did with varying success and you know fast forward a year you know the plan was to get Diaz in or try and get Diaz in the summer he became available for a number of different reasons you know Porto needed to sell you know, Tottenham made a bid, so Liverpool brought their plans forward in the summer. So I'd be surprised to see them maybe go for another forward in the summer, but it does make me question what it sort of means for 
the existing front, you know, the well-established front three of, of Salah, Mane and Firmino really and, and what that where that leaves them in the summer, obviously with the contracts being down to, to one year at that point. I mean, what, what, one last thing I'd just like to say on the, on the, um, the sort of the forward line options and it, it was something that was mentioned in another podcast a few days ago where we were talking about sort of the comparison between Man United's treble in 99 and, and, and Liverpool and City going for a treble and a quadruple at the moment and, the challenges around that, and it was put. It was made. The point was made by Andy Mitten originally. Who obviously covers United, and he was saying, you know, the people forget that in um in ninety nine they won the Champions League in the last minutes of the game thanks to goals from Solskjaer and Sheringham, and they weren't the two forwards that that played for United that season. It was Cole and York were the two really. I think that firepower got United over the line. You know, in all the competitions come the end of the season. You know, four. Top class centre forwards. Liverpool, you would argue, well, Liverpool have obviously got three, played with a three in attack. So they've got, you know, five, I'd say, top class options plus Origi, if you, how you quantify his sort of scare value because you just know when he comes on the pitch, something crazy might happen. And then, as I said before, Minamino, and then you've even got Alex Oxley Chamberlain, you've got Harvey Elliott who can play in those forward positions as well. You've got Kay Gordon who who even, he played the, the League Cup semi-final, second leg, didn't he? So Liverpool got huge options in that area. And I think, for me, I, I think for Liverpool to have the success that the people hope they might have, I think that's going to be the key between now and the end of the season. Balancing, playing, rotating those players and using them when is appropriate, really. So, as I said earlier, it's another one of those sorts of subplots that will be fascinating to see how the manager deals with it. Because we are talking, Stephen, about a possible of what another nineteen games as we chase down this this quadruple, this ridiculous dream, or maybe it isn't so ridiculous. The Q word. I remember bringing it up on this podcast um, several months ago and was laughed out of court. Yeah, and I'm still were. probably being laughed out of court because it's like the impossible dream, isn't it? But we're approaching. The middle of March, Liverpool are still in all four trophies, which is incredible. I think the next three games are vital before the international break. When you look at the three trophies that we're in, the most likely that Liverpool will win is the FA Cup because there's only three matches to be played there and won. And the next one's away to Nottingham Forest and you would fancy Liverpool to win that and that puts you in the semi-finals. For the Champions League, we're in the quarterfinals, guaranteed to have a really big draw. But I think Liverpool can deliver against anyone. And the league title, for me, is still going to be the hardest one to win because City are so consistent, so machine-like in their performances and results. And, of course, we have to go there later on this season and um, get a victory, and that is going to be no easy feat. But... Liverpool are in the most wonderful position you could imagine. Think about this. About two months ago, if you'd have said Liverpool had a chance of winning all four trophies, you'd have taken that bitten everyone's hand off. So this is going to be one exciting end to the season. We've got the right man at the hill. Jurgen Klopp will know what is right to do. I have no doubt about that. And the players will rise to the challenge. It's just how many trophies they lift in that challenge and it's going to be fantastic to watch I can't wait for the end of this season I don't think I've been as excited by the end of a season for a long long time and that's even going back to recent seasons whenever we won the European Cup and the league title 
because um, there was almost an inevitability about winning the league title from about November. And it was just almost like a, a lap of honour whenever Liverpool won the title for the first time in 30 years. In terms of the, the last European Cup success, as soon as Spurs got in the final, I was almost lifting the trophy myself because I knew they weren't going to beat us in the final. But this, there's an unpredictability about this, which is um, fascinating. And um, there's an excitement because of the squad and the manager that we have. And it is possible, you know, and to have that sort of hope going into the last three months of the season, ah, it's just, just going to be exhilarating, boys. And it's going to be a joy to watch, starting against Brighton on Saturday, which for me is a really tough game, by the way. Let's just do the Champions League draw. What's, what's the dream draw? It takes place on Friday the 18th of March in Neon in, in Switzerland, 11 in the morning, if anyone wants to put it in their diary. Um, dare I say, it, is Manchester United the dream draw? Should they come through, Si, or not? No, I, I always make my, my judgments on these issues by the place. So it's got to be Lisbon or Amsterdam. <laughs> A purely selfish trip. <laughs> Let's be honest, if everybody can pile over to, to Lisbon or Amsterdam, they're going to have a good time, aren't they, regardless of the result? All right, what about those people who can't actually have that trip, Si? <laughs> um, what I don't want to really experience again, I would not like Liverpool to play a final against another English club again, because the thought of losing against an English team is, is just too much to bear, really. So... The more English teams that go out before the final, the better, as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, I mean, over two legs, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd take City now. I think whoever whoever beats City are going to end up winning the competition, I, I suspect. I just think the the reason why I'm not, like, sort of as excited about the, the quadruple prospect is, I think it's a possibility, but I just think City are involved in each competition, so you've got to have to find a way to get past them, really. You know, I think other teams are going to find them hard to beat, really. You know, from whether it's it's one of the big Spanish clubs, Bayern. I just think City, the team to beat, really. So, yeah, I'd, I'd take City and I have one of those. I think I think the the fixture schedule would mean a mega week of City games. <laughs> a relentless procession of Liverpool Man City games. Um, let's go to the Premier League. So Liverpool play first in terms of Liverpool and City this weekend, Stephen. It happened last weekend. You get your points on the board, and then you wait to see what happens to Manchester City. How's it going to play out the next month? Well, the next few games are going to be critical, I would say. Brighton away. You know what? Brighton have um, been very difficult opponents for Liverpool recently. I think um, Brighton are unbeaten in their last three against the Reds. So um, they're going to have a bit of confidence about them going into this match, even though their form hasn't been great, to be honest. And um, I remember whenever Liverpool were carrying all before them in the 1980s, early 1980s, Brighton were Liverpool's bogey team. So um, we don't want that to happen again at this stage, whenever Liverpool are doing so well. I think the key element here is to grind them down, get an early goal if possible. I know we did that against them at Anfield earlier in the season. Liverpool went 2-0 up, but Brighton showed real character as well as, as, well as a lot of class to fight back and, and draw that match 2-2. And their fans will tell you they could have won it. So um, if Liverpool get ahead this time, they just have to grind them into the dirt effectively um, and go 2-0 up and 3-0 up if they can because... Um, uh, 
you know, Brighton at home are a dangerous animal. They've drawn against Chelsea twice this season. You don't want them drawn against Liverpool twice this season. And the key factor here is Liverpool can put that pressure on City, just as they did before City played Tottenham. City didn't wilt in that game. Spurs were outstanding and Harry Kane was um, uh, absolutely brilliant. But, you know, it'll put some thoughts in their minds that Liverpool are coming for them. And Palace away on a Monday night, as we know, boys, that can be tricky. So um, uh, let's put City under pressure and see how they react. For me, Liverpool have to go to Brighton and get the win. It's fascinating every weekend, isn't it? Uh, Right, let's shift away from that. I just want to mention a piece that Simon's written. You can give us some of the headline of this now. It's why FSG out. Still bubbles, even as Liverpool triumph and rivals run into moral and financial trouble. Uh, what's, the, what's the essence of the piece you've written, Simon? How long have we got here, Steve? Well, you haven't got, you haven't got that long. So oh, OK, <laughs> I'll keep it brief. So obviously at the moment you've got a lot of sort of fans questioning, I suppose, their ownership model, given what's happened at Chelsea, given what's happening at Everton. And I, I just thought it was an appropriate time, really, to write about Liverpool in, in the sense that, obviously, FSG are, I think it's fair to say, much maligned as owners, despite the club's position in not just English football, but European football. A lot of people doubt that the club's foundations are, are there for the club to have sustained success after Jürgen Klopp departs, which he confirmed last week, you know, two years from now. So... I was sort of assessing really the, the whole FSG out campaign. I mean, I call it a campaign. It's it's more of a, a sort of a movement, I would say, an, an unofficial, unregulated, un, unorganised movement on Twitter, which sort of blows up every every now and then when either they make mistakes or you know they don't get a transfer over the line that some people want to happen. So the piece is assessing to, to what extent... Is this feeling, um, where, where is this feeling born out of and where it might lead? I think I sort of just answered the question there that it's not an organised sort of protest which Liverpool fans have been successful with in the past. You know, when you look back to Hicks and Gillette and the, the role of Spirit of Shankly in, in that, in their removal really. So to some extent, it's, it's, it's an online phenomenon which... As I see it, you know, it sort of puts pressure on the organisation when mistakes are made. But in terms of palpable change, I, I don't really see that ever forcing any change, really. You know, I, I think sometimes, I mean, I, I'm, I've written about FSG a lot. I think it, it's fair to say. I think there's a big... T- somebody made this point to me, and it, I think it's fair that there's a big difference between being critical of an ownership group, which I think every journalist or fan base or whatever is is right to do, particularly at the moment where a lot of owners don't have that like sort of local or deep deeper connection with the clubs that they own. You know, there's different reasons for why owners own football clubs. And I think it's right to have a fair criticism of or fair fair analysis of, of what they get right and what, what they get wrong. But it sometimes then overspills into this, like, well, you're either FSG out or you're a sympathiser when you credit them for doing things right. I just think that sort of conversation isn't particularly helpful. I mean, in an ideal world, what would you want? I mean, I would like reform in football, whereby, you know, the sort of the ownership models that exist at the moment aren't, aren't really feasible, but we are where we are. And my question, I guess, to people who 
demand FSG's removal on a daily basis on social media as well. What do you want? You know, what do you want an alternative, like a Chelsea owner and look where that's leading potentially? Or is, is it one of these ownership groups that a lot of the same people might decry? You know, like Liverpool fans sort of scoff at City and, and Chelsea for for the rise of the, their club and the money behind it. The, the, the fans just want that because that's the only alternative really now if you're going to compete. So unfortunately, it's just the reality of, of football. You know, money does count. So, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a longer answer than I expected to give you there, Steve. So I'll just stop there. Well, I'll tell you what, you can read some more, uh, put some more context on it on Simon's piece. It's on uh, The Athletic now. Really interesting thoughts. So check it out. Also, uh, James has written on the uh, defeat to Inter Milan, but the progression in the Champions League. And my thanks, as always, goes to Simon Hughes and Stephen Beacon for another brilliant Red Agenda. Thank you for listening, and we'll return after that Bryson game. <laughs>